Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. Today, we are joined by Casey Ostwich from Honey Tree Farm. Now, Casey has a background in horticulture um, and landscape for 10 years, is an arborist climber and a PHC technician for three years and has been marketing, market gardening for three years now as well. He spent six years in the National Guard in between all of that as a heavy equipment operator. Now, he farms with Tori, who has a master's degree in accounting, CrossFit coach, and lots of work experience with corporate data and analytics, and has been market gardening now for two years. Um, so she joined you a little bit later after that transition. So welcome to the podcast. Sweet, man. Uh, good to be here. So talk to us a little bit about um, an overview of your farming operation. It's, it seems to me like it's a um, more market garden style. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 30 inch beds, 18 inch walkways, um, about an acre total when you like figure in the wash station and the cooler and all that stuff. And um, yeah, we sell it uh, to markets. We sell from our farm and we sell to restaurants and uh, just the weekly grind, man, just uh, flipping beds, planting, harvesting, um, trying to build infrastructure at the same time to keep growing, to get to a, a good point and um, make it happen and be a real business, have our focus. So talk to us about that infrastructure journey. What things are you still attempting to build out? Um, well, we just tarped a pot today for four more tunnels and, uh, I got to build end walls still on our tunnels, just putting up the tunnels themselves as a big project. Like we mm. um, set up a nursery area, um, you know, shelves, like random stuff you have to build here and there at the wash station, something needs fixed, um, issues with the cooler, all that stuff, having to build all that from uh, nothing. Uh-huh. It, it takes a lot of time. So. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So talk to us about your background. How do you feel that prepared you for starting a farm? Uh, I think just the, like the general being in the field so much and developing an intuition is probably the biggest thing. And uh, I started landscaping when I was 15. So I was out working outside all day, you know, all year after school in high school, still working. Um, yeah. It's just, and then it, that was in the North and the Midwest. So we had, kind of hot summers and then you know working outside all winter too getting used to that Uh and uh then i um so the landscaping just the plant knowledge i i got a associate's degree in uh, horticulture from a pretty good school pretty good program Uh, i was really hands-on just really practical knowledge and yeah just running landscape crews being in the field every day you know learning plants under you know you, you can like look at a plant and see like oh man you know it needs nitrogen, blah, 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 whatever. You just get used to that stuff. And uh, working efficient comes along with that too. That's helped big time. So when it comes to getting a big job done, it's just a matter of like, okay, well, you know, spend a lot of time working. So this is just how we get the job done fast and still do a good job. Um, and then uh, the arborist stuff, um, 
uh, that was for Bartlett Tree Experts. That's a they're like yes. a scientific scientific tree care company, and yeah. our office was like right around the corner from the research lab, and that was um, an arboretum, a research lab. They did soil testing there. I used to go there after work, and you know, talk to the entomologists, talk to the soil science guys. You know, these dudes are like master arborists, and um, you know, it was just that being able to have that um, access to info so easy. And um, it's just a, this is a high quality company. They trained us a lot. So I learned IPM. So, um, you know, pest management. Uh, yeah, and then the, the military stuff, running equipment, working, working with people, learning a lot about people, communication, uh, seeing the world, all that stuff. It was cool. So all those things come together and um, just help, I don't know, just help the viewpoint, I guess, on what yeah. we're doing and why we're doing it. So what um, prompted your, your transition to becoming a full-time farmer? Uh, we actually, uh, uh, my family's got some health issues and um, we were starting to learn about food mm. and health and how it's connected. And um, I was working, you know, with the soil every day, pretty much. And I have for a long time. And I had a boss that was a mentor. He was really into organic stuff. He taught me bees for uh, beekeeping and, um, so when we got around to finding people like Joel Salatin, um, JM, you know, all these people, I started watching their videos and I was like, dude, this is, this is sweet. Like I'm out here like pruning trees. We could be out here like growing food. And uh-huh. you know, Tori, Tori's got a super analytical mind. She's extremely organized. So I was like, well, I can go out and do all the, um, you know, the, the brunt work and get it built and you can come in and keep it organized. And um, I think we can do it. Uh, and anyway, so we homesteaded for like a year and uh, raised our own meat chickens, did a lot of our own vegetables. We read the Market Gardener book and switched our garden up. And uh, then we got an opportunity to uh, move to a farm in South Carolina. There's a farm to table event business and they wanted a market garden and they had um, pasture raised layers. Um, we did meat birds there. They had cows, they had pigs. Um, it was really permaculture focused. Okay. And um, so it's like wedding event business with this permaculture twist on it. And um, so we sold like everything within the camper there for about a year, did that. And uh, we just wanted to do our own thing, just how we roll. So we moved out of there and started our farm. Gotcha. Talk to us about what a typical week looks like on the farm. Monday is uh, bed prep, cultivating, um, any cleanup stuff that's been left over from like getting ready for markets. We try and chill on Sundays and, um, I do YouTube too, like a weekly vlog. So I have to edit it on Sundays. Okay. And I, I know, you know, from doing, um, the podcast stuff, and all that, it takes a lot of time Oh yes. <laughs> to put that together. I didn't really realize the time commitment and, um, people enjoyed watching it. So I was like, wow, I, okay. I feel like I have to really spend time on it. So, um, yeah, so then Monday, uh, we're getting in there, just starting to plant flip beds, um, pruning, there any pruning needs done, any infrastructure projects need done. And then Tuesday, um, we have some volunteers that help for about three hours. And that's normally cultivating, transplanting, um, starting seeds. Um, and then Wednesday is anything we couldn't get done Monday and Tuesday plus any pre-harvest for Thursday. Thursday's harvest day, wash day. Um, and then 
with the pandemic, we've only been delivering to really one restaurant. Um, okay. That we we deliver to a lot more, but they're just now getting around to getting back into the swing of things. And um, so that one restaurant, it's a barbecue restaurant. Our friends own it. We take a lot there and they've been supporting us since we started. So we'll try and go there Thursday night, you know, have a burger or whatever, chill out, talk about markets and next week. And then Friday is uh, uh, doing microgreens, finishing up any washing, uh, getting ready. We sell from the farm on Friday. So we get ready for that. And then um, we have a part-time helper that comes and me and her will do planting, bed prep, anything that needs done on Friday before market. And then Saturday's market, um, like I leave at five in the morning, get home at like two uh-huh. and, um, we try and chill out that day too. In the summer we have to like irrigate and stuff, you know, like yeah. water and this, this, this or that here, there, whatever. And then, uh, Sundays try and chill, um, do the video and get back, back at it on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. So with that weekly schedule, uh, do you feel that, the focus every day helps you get more done because I know some people like are marketing multiple times a week and I guess you're marketing more just toward the end of your week so how do you deal with all the crops that let's say like squashes or beans and maybe don't grow them um, that are ready earlier in the week uh, well in the summer we would harvest every day and uh, we built a root cellar in our basement okay and so we'll wipe them off put them in totes and set them in the root cellar and they keep all week Gotcha. That's how you're managing that. All right. Yeah. So, um, you know, like in the mornings, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in the summer, we're kind of in fall mode now. So I didn't really think about that, but, um, in the mornings, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and Friday, uh, we harvest when it's harvested on the daily stuff and then put that in the root cellar and it's ready to go Saturday for the market. Yeah. And with, with your market now, um, you just got one farmer's market a week. We do two. I go to, um, I go to Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, Tori goes to Hickory, North Carolina. We're, we're located near Hickory. So um, she sells there and I go to Charlotte. And there's another um, smaller local market that we sold at last year, just when we were getting going. And um, uh, we might have some people that sell for us there. We're still trying to work that out. Gotcha. Still to add that additional income stream. Yeah. Yeah. So as a farmer, there's always endless tasks to be done. What systems have you set up to ensure that you focus and tackle the most vital priorities? Oh, let's see. Having the weekly schedule is definitely key. And then the most honest answer I can give is to trust or Tori with all of the, uh, you know, the organizing and stuff and um, just trust what she says when she says we need to start these seeds this week. I don't even question it. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Yeah. Now, how, how many crops a week are you planning on having? Do you have like, um, obviously like lettuces and greens every single week? And then do you plan on a wide variety or are you more focused? Um, well, we, so, so we've only been at this as our business now for two years. And for the first year and a half, I was doing it on my own. And so we're just now getting into, especially the pandemic and restaurants, because uh, we're friends with chefs and we try and I like the wholesale side of it too. Yeah. Um, we're just now getting to the point where like, okay, this is the stuff that we grow that we know people want to buy from us for sure. Every time they come to the market or the people that show up to the farm to buy stuff, they always want um, salad mix. They always want beets. They always want carrots. And um, if we have like sun gold tomatoes, that's another big one. But we're starting to find what the big demand is and 
Uh, we're just trying to produce more of that, but still have a variety of stuff, you know, rashes, Swiss chard, collards, uh, you know, and stuff like that, head lettuce. Yeah, yeah. Now, of the, um, so like you've got your weekly schedule, you've got Tori who's managing the, 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 the planting schedule and all of that. How do you set up your day? Do you have like a beginning of the day meeting together? Do you prepare the night before? Uh, pretty much every day after the work day or after we make dinner, we'll go, we just say, you want to walk the farm and we'll walk around everything two or three times and just talk to each other about, um, you know, what we want to get done and yeah. what we think. And then, so like, that's a good time for, um, me to be like, yeah, well, at the Charlotte market, um, I can't have, a, you know, I can't have a small, uh, head lettuce. It needs to be bigger. And she's like, well, or then in her market, she needs this or that. So we start to figure out more about each other's markets. And uh, yeah, that offers us time to look at all the work and see how it was done, how things are growing, how things, you know, the heat and weather and all that stuff. That's what we do the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not like, we don't have like our real set schedule yet. We're still like casting a big net on everything to, to then reel it in and make it smaller and more focused and all that. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about what would you say is the hardest part of being a farmer? I say the hardest part, well, for me, um, when we started, I was always like a, like a technical person, like in the field, you know, like big prunes, um, IPM jobs, um, the picky landscape installs, uh, running the grader, the dozer, like stuff that needed to be like real done real well. And uh, so my biggest challenge was learning the business side. And when we started our farm, I stopped listening to all farming podcasts. Okay. <laughs> and um, I switched to strictly business podcasts. And so, um, so then like I started the YouTube stuff and that became a challenge, just the marketing and the communication and the, the kind of like the bigger picture thinking for, for me is the hardest thing because um, it's easy to get ideological and let that pull you in a certain direction, but you know, the customers really care about whether or not you're relevant in their life. And so finding the, the balance and making it happen and having a good product every week and we grow all year. So dealing with those challenges, it's just the, the business side of it, I guess, learning it at full speed. While you're actually running a business as well. Yeah. And then you have to deal with nature on top of it. Yes. Which, is, which is kind of fun. I've been doing it forever. So I'm kind of like, oh yeah, you know, we've had a serious issue with rain and caterpillars this year. And so I'm like, yeah, well, next year it's going to be something different. <laughs> so talk to us about the caterpillars. What kind of caterpillars have been showing up? Army worms and cut worms. So um, I think what happened was it rained so much. We're looking at the second wettest summer on record here and they could just travel across the farm real easy on wet soil. And they just, I mean, they destroyed beets, chard, kale, even tomatoes, radishes, and they didn't really touch arugula. <laughs> but yeah. um, all, I mean, it was just insane trying to get the fall planting in. And I was trying not to spray anything for a long time. I finally broke down and started uh, putting out some BT. Yep. And, uh, and some, I had, man, carrots, even carrots, dude. We had six beds of carrots and one night I walked out there. I was like, okay, where did all these carrots go? 
And they're so they just, just being like, level. Yeah, they just traveled across the beds and like, uh, like I've had carrots at the market for a year straight every week. And I'm like, dude, this sucks. Like, so I was like, whatever, let's just reseed it, overseed it. I put down um, DE and yeah. hit them with BT and then I covered it with row cover. And so it's been pretty good. They've been bouncing back pretty well. But even the insect netting, man, on the collards, they got under the insect netting. I think they hatched out or whatever, like under the weed mat. It was just nuts. Now for cutworms, is there any um, nematodes that you can use for those? Yeah, I had, I did put nematodes down in the spring and um, I'm getting ready to do an application of those now. But uh, this has been BT mostly and TE to try and take them out. Yeah. I really try not to spray as much as possible um, just because it's one of the bigger things. Because I used to spray trees and, you know, like I would spray trees all day and you know, do soil treatments, then come home and work in our organic garden. So I was like, yeah, so, you know, we got to change it. You got to do something different. Yeah. You don't want to be the, the organic nozzle head as it were. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your mentors. Who have you learned from as you've been on your farming journey? Uh, let's, well, um, I was, it probably starts more on a horticultural journey with my first boss, Roger. He was really into the organic side of everything with bees and um, he ran a nursery that was deep wood chips uh, before I had ever heard about, um, you know, back to eating stuff. Yeah. And um, he was a, he played a pretty big role in, and just getting to think about it. And yeah. then there's another beekeeper that um, mentored us and he was in the Navy, um, real detailed guy. He was an engineer at Whirlpool forever. And um he, did, he had 150 hives and we would just go out and smash out bee work. It was super cool. I learned a lot. And then, um, yeah, yeah, dude, it was crazy. Harvesting honey was wild. <laughs> yeah. So now tell me about the deep mulch nursery. Cause one of the things well, we're looking to do is a nursery. And I, I'm, I'm interested in that technique. Well, it was, he knew a local tree guy and, uh, this was a small town, Northwest Ohio. Yeah. Um, and, um, so not a, not out of anybody's way to take wood chips to him. And we would just get a pile of wood chips, spread it with the skid steer and it'd be deep. And he had it on there for years. It was like beautiful soil. And so <clears throat> we would get ball and burlap trees, take them off the truck and like set them right in the mulch, dig a hole and put them in the mulch or mount it up, like pitchfork it up around the yeah. balls. And then, um, I mean, it really should have not been overhead irrigation, but he had a powerful well. So we just like blasted water over, over everything. And um, yeah, the, the, the worst part about that is you have to, the roots will really leave the root balls and spread out. And so when you pull a tree to plant it, yes. you know, you put it on the truck and you go plant it, it really struggles. So like I had to, I spent hours and hours, Saturdays and Sundays at that nursery by myself, ball and burlapping, re-ball and burlapping trees. Um, and then, you know, like the mentor thing, one of the things he told me, I was out there like all mad, you know, I was like 18. And he was like, yeah. he's like, well, you want to get in this field and work outside? It's a different dollar. So get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we've been digging trees out all day by myself, like super heavy trees. And I was like, yeah, well, gotta be tough, I guess. So trees. those trees did so well because of all the organic matter yeah. sucked the roots back out of the. Yeah. What we, yeah. what we ended up doing was we scraped off um, one of the plots, the nursery plots, and we filled it with pea gravel. And we ended up putting the um, bomber that trees in pea gravel. And that created like a pretty 
um, arid environment with the pea gravel. So you could still water everything. Water would penetrate and get to the root ball, but the roots would only grow out like maybe at most three inches. And then when you're ready to plant, um, we would just take the skid steer up with the forks, grab the root ball, and like all the pea gravel would fall off or you could shake it off. Yes. Put it on the truck and then it's ready to go. And yeah, we've recently started getting some trees for our place here. So always interested to uh, hear yeah. how the people do that process. I would, if it was me, I would put it on, I would put misters in there. Maybe if you yeah. can do like four, four trees at once, set up your little station and a way to go in and get the trees out easy. It depends on the size of the trees too. I mean, we were doing two, three, four inch caliper trees in that pea gravel. They were big. And that's and, uh, heavy. Yeah, super heavy. So yeah. it was a lot of equipment work and, um, you know, uh, we had container stuff too, but one of the things that, um, this might bring you back, I don't know how you're going to do your trees, but one of the things that, uh, when I was an arborist that I did a lot of was I took a air compressor out to these massive, like, uh, condo associations in Charlotte yeah. and would just go through with an air spade and blow out the, the root collar of the tree. At the okay. base because people would mulch, you know, they mulch volcanoes, they put yes. the mulch way too far on the tree. Well, the yeah. roots that the roots from container trees, when they start circling, they never stop circling. They're not going to change directions. So a lot of times you have to cut them when you're planting them. But if you didn't, um, they would keep and they would start girdling. So I would blow out the root zone and then you'd root prune these trees to take the girdling roots out. And then uh, we would add biochar, compost, fertilizer, and then you kind of put the mulch back, but leave the the collar exposed so it doesn't rot. And okay, so you're saying right at the base of the tree, right around like maybe a couple inches yeah. out from the is, is what you're what they're yeah. hurdling. So yeah, if you look at a big tree anywhere, yeah. you're gonna the bottom of it kind of flares out. It's called a root flare. Yeah. If you ever see a tree that doesn't have a root flare, uh, especially if it's like a two, three, four inch tree, there's too much mulch around the tr trunk of the tree and it's gonna rot and it'll eventually die. It's gonna cause a lot of issues. Yeah. Um, so you want to want to make sure it's not happening. But that was just something. If you were doing container plants, container trees, which is fine. I'm just letting you know. Maples are the worst if you're planting maples, but um, you're probably doing edibles. So. Well, I will admit we did plant some sugar maples around the house and red maples um, because we wanted the big shade and we wanted the color. Yeah. But no, the rest of the farm is going to be getting edibles. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, those uh, shade trees are perfect for your area in um yeah. in Ohio. Yeah. No, but that's great. Thanks for that. Those tips on uh, yeah. uh, tree tips with uh, Casey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I love trees. Like I can talk about them all day. Yeah. Very cool. If I, if, if I could like have a, if there's like a, someone that really want to invest in a bunch of land, I'd try and do like agroforestry and like a zone seven climate. It'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be absolutely. so cool. Run animals through it, you know, polyculture. It'd be so cool. Yeah. Well, you can really stack so many different things up. Yeah. So, if there was, let's say, a magic reset button as you're basically starting your farm, and maybe the agroforestry is that thing, what systems would you go back and put in place sooner? Uh, let's see. I would build a nursery right after I built the cooler. I didn't build a nursery till um, about a year and a half after we started. That was super uh. dumb. That was super dumb. <laughs> So you just struggle with high quality transplants is what you're saying. Yeah. So I would start them in the basement and then move them outside. And then uh, the weather here in North Carolina, we're, we're in Western North Carolina and like the foothills, we'll, we can get two to three inches of rain in a thunderstorm in the afternoon. And that just oh, wrecked, wow. wrecked the seedlings, no nutrients. And uh, then the pests would show up 
and it was just me doing everything at the time. So I was like, man, you know, this stinks, but we got it figured out. We got a um, hundred foot tunnel, half of its nursery, half of its production now. So we're actually going to be building end walls on it here soon. Yeah. So the first thing we built while well, we built the mushroom house and then we built the walk-in cooler. And then our next project is that nursery house. And we're still debating kind of like the, the, the right details of it. But yeah, having a strong transplant. And the other thing too with the nursery is I always tell folks to double or triple the size of it because transplants are huge money. There's massive margins in them. Yeah. It's always great to start a few extra because a lot of the people that buy from you for vegetables also may have like a container garden or a little garden on the side. And so being yeah, able to I, add that is such a huge plus. I agree. I have a lot of our customers watch the videos I make and they come to the market or they come to the farm with questions for their own garden. And yeah. I've been thinking like, man, dude, tomato starts. And then like, just for our email newsletter, like a really in-depth tomato pruning, tomato growing kind of thing that they can use at their house. Yeah. They, they get so much value from that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the big thing too, is like they can go to the box store and they can buy a tomato for what, two or $3. And you can easily charge four to $5 for a nice size tomato transplant, as well as you can on top of that say, Hey, I'm even going to give you free access to my tomato pruning and tomato management tutorial. And yeah. so they'll, they'll be happy to pay for that um, because they can see the added value. Yep. So talk to us about that, um, the, the YouTube channel a little bit. You know, you obviously make the, the videos for other farmers, but you also got those customers. Um, what do you say the split would be? Uh, there's probably more people that are interested in just watching the process of it. Um, I've showed it from the beginning. So um, I wish, like when I was looking at videos, I was like, man, I wish I could see someone um, do it from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, you know, whatever, I'm going to do it. And um, people people seem to have responded pretty well to it. I think it brings a lot of value to people because I'm not like, you know, out here with having already figured out all my problems saying, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. It's like a, a journey along with us. Building yes. tunnels, building tunnels, dealing with, you know, flooded basements and storms and snow and wind and all this stuff. And, yeah. um, the, you know, the customers, I think it's cool. So I post a video a week on Sunday and so they can get stuff from the market from us on Saturday and then see, you know, that week where it's like, oh, cool. You know, uh, that's the, the collards that I bought or, you know, this is the process of the people. It, it's, I think it develops more of a connection with you grows your food. Yeah. And so I, I guess my question would be to you on that is, do you feel like they, um, I guess my, my, my question, my problem with, and, and again, it may be just me uh, struggling with this is showing so much behind the scenes. And do you talk a lot about like the business side, the farming side, the, the sales side? So you feel like you're sharing too much for the customer side or you feel like you're just sharing the whole process and they want you to be transparent about that? It's none of it's the, really the business side or the sales side. Okay. Um, it's strictly growing. It's strictly um I don't know what you say, story, yes. I guess. Yeah, it's the story of how the farm, yeah, how things happened on the farm that week, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not out there trying to, I'm not like clickbaiting our videos, like such and such money on such and such land and stuff like that. Yes. Um, it's strictly like, you know, this week, this is like what happened, what went on and stuff. 
Yeah, gotcha. So it's the it's yeah. kind of the the vlog journey of, of the farm. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. yeah. And- yeah, it could be a total waste of time too, but um, I did learn a lot doing it, so I'm not really that bothered yeah. about it if it is a waste of time. No, I, I checked them out; they look great. Now, I mean, one thing I'm struggling with here is uh, we are in uh, urban area, so we have a lot of rules and restrictions. And I'm afraid if I put too much in my videos, the town will start watching them and start hitting me with code violations. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Uh, then again, I'm like, you know what? And again, you'll see it up. though. Yeah, they, well, <laughs> well, we like, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but um, I don't know, like, they're gonna find out anyways, and hopefully, I don't know, I'll just, well, I guess I'll just deal with it when it happens, but I don't really, we're not yeah. like, putting up buildings or anything, you know, nothing's really yeah. crazy yet, and at least, it, I guess. Yeah, so like we put our mushroom house up and our walk-in cooler and then the leaves all fell off the trees. And so then about four days later, I got a certified letter that I had to go to the bank to the uh, post office and sign for. And I was really, I was really freaking out a little bit that it was, um, you know, a code violation. Of course, they sent a certified mail. But it was just, you know, a, a school district tax that we either forgot to pay or somehow the, the payment got lost. So it was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. that. I do so, have, um, we're kind of close to power lines and I do worry about um, ooh, yeah. the power line. They're the, like Duke power coming through and being like, yo, you can't have those there. Yeah. But they're Caterpillar tunnels. So literally me alone in five, 10 minutes, I can undo yeah. the plastic, fold it back, pull some uh, hoops out and be like, yeah, you can fit your truck in here. So yeah, um, yeah. when you leave, I'll put it back up, but they're, yeah. So or just pull the, the plastic away. off it. Uh, I guess. Yeah. 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 We had that problem with a farm up in upstate New York that a friend of mine had is they had to move some of the tunnels because of the right away. But again, I would just do it as long as you can. Um, yeah. And I don't, you know, like if you pull the plastic off of it, like, is it really a structure? I don't know. It, yeah, I don't, well, I don't know that's, the laws about it, but well, it depends on where you are. So, like in upstate New York, a uh, high tunnel is considered a temporary structure. So, oh, nice. it does not meet requirements for setbacks and all that sort of thing. So, I'm still trying to figure out in Ohio what our rules and regs are because that obviously we have to supposedly put a development plan together, um, which is a very like 12 step process and very expensive with our town. And I'm going to argue with them that caterpillar tunnels are temporary and should, and I should be able to create like zones on my property of where they can go. Because again, if you only put it up for a couple months, I'm not going to adjust my development plan every couple months when I move a caterpillar tunnel. It just does yeah. not make sense. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, obviously there's massive advantages of being where we are urban with like 12,000 cars a day driving by our, our farm. But also there's, you know, we're paying for it because yeah. we're paying, we have to deal with all the regulations. I, one of our customers, um, who's become uh, like a, kind of like a local friend. Yeah. Um, he's the building inspector for our County or one of them. Oh, that's a good person to know. (laughs) He was helping us process chickens and I was asking him some questions and and stuff, you know, like I was like, Hey man, I kind of want to build like a little cabin Airbnb thing back here. Like, how do I build it, but not build it? He was like, Oh, okay. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I asked him about the tunnels and he didn't really seem he was like, I don't see why you can't just, if you need to get through, um, move the hoops away and they could still fit their truck in there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he didn't really seem to, but it's North Carolina. This is, I mean, we're, it's pretty chill out here. I grew up in Ohio. It's a bit more strict there than here. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason we decided we need uh, a lot more rules and regulations up here. 
And with that, I'd like to stop here and take a quick break. In a minute, we'll be back with Casey from Honey Tree Farm. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick, back again with the second half of this episode with Casey from Honey Tree Farms. Uh, Casey, talk to us a little bit about, and you mentioned it earlier about the roles you have, but kind of share a little bit about the roles that you have on the farm and how you and Tori kind of break things up. Well, I mean, we do discuss everything together. And um, I guess where I can probably bring the most value to this is we, Tori does all of the taxes stuff, all of the um, invoicing, pretty much all that stuff. And I trust her judgment on all of it. And then I do a lot of the field stuff, uh, whether it's like mostly like soil amending or like where we put this tunnel or that tunnel or blah, blah, all the. So she has intuition into that world and I have intuition to the other part of that. And um, we just assume that no matter what happens, um, it's our fault together. And so the roles are just like, I just don't, it's like, she's doing her thing, I'll do my thing. And we work together and we have a common goal. Like there's, you know, we just are goal focused. So it's, it, you know, and we'll Now how do you set those goals? Do you set income goals? Do you set quantity goals? Yeah, we sat down at the beginning of the year and we revisit it. We do, um, we're pretty strict with our personal finances. We've been frugal. We started the farm with our own money and um, we've lived on our own for since like high school. So we've been really cautious with our own money and blah, 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 and all that stuff. So we re revisit that stuff, goals and personal finances like every two to three months. Uh -huh. And we'll go through it, sit down, go through it, talk about it. And then, um, you know, you know, we know what we want to do. We, 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 we want to, you know, we want our life to be like and how much work it's going to take and blah, 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 and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, I guess, maybe, I don't know. We, we don't really argue much. So it's just kind of how it is. Yeah, you let the numbers and the business drive what you're doing. Yeah, there's no like romanticism really with like, well, I want this, I want that. It's like, well, we need a real business first. And it's very clear between us, those things. And um, that's what we put first. So so with those goals on your farm, um, do you break those down into like monthly sales goals, weekly sales goals, or do you, and especially now, you know, this year, like COVID hit. Did you like, yeah. um, and I know you did a video on it. Did you just like basically say, you know, all bets are out the window. We're completely changing our marketing plan. It was, well, we were pretty big with restaurants um, and uh -huh. didn't really put the market first, but we were still serious about the markets. We, we were pretty fortunate in the, in the, in the sense that we didn't have established, like, you know, we do a thousand a week to restaurants and then a thousand retail. We were like, going into this year, like we're going to build up as much as we can, as fast as we can. And we had a yearly sales goal and we busted it down into weeks. And then uh -huh. it was slower season weeks versus busier season weeks. Yeah. 
So I think it was April to November, we needed to make this much a month. Um, and this is strictly just to pay bills. So it was like a very, very small base that we don't want to get close to. Yeah. We want to reinvest. And then the winter was a, 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 a lower number. Um, you know, you're not buying tunnels like, yeah, you, you, you could prepare, prepare for whatever. But anyways, our, we opened the farm up for sales and that kind of took care of a lot of our restaurant deals. So uh, and then one restaurant stuck with us. They opened another restaurant during the pandemic and they um, have been buying from us too. And so that was really stable and solid. And then the markets, um, I worked really hard last year uh, by myself to be able to do two markets. Uh, one was during the week and then one was on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And those are the Charlotte and Hickory markets. And I did like all of that almost by myself because Tori's working full time. And just to get us into the markets before, because we're planning on Tori quitting in March. Yes. And so I was like, okay, I got us in, like we're set, we grew, we're growing. We're going to be there every week, all winter, except for like Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, we'll be all year, year round farms, like the attention's low or the competition's low. So the attention's easier to get people to try our products, blah, blah, blah. We can try and get a customer base and then just grow that customer base next year. And then Tori quit. And then like two weeks later, all the shutdowns happening. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. That and we were, and we were drilling a well cause we, we ran our well dry. And so I was like, dude, this sucks. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah. So, but um, yeah, it, we had our first like kind of decent harvest and a massive um, on farm sales. And it was really uh, lifting. There's a lot of pressure there for like a month, but yeah. And then the market, the market has been pretty steady and, um, it's just a matter of being there really. So we'll just keep going. And as a restaurant, get back at it. Um, you know, we still have our connections with them trying to sell them stuff like special wine dinners that they're having here and there. And, um, yeah, just keep so going. So talk to me, how do you get the chefs? Um, what's your process for like the reaching out and getting a new client on board? Almost all of them are from DMing on Instagram. And oh, interesting. Then, yeah. And then, um, I meet them and generally we're in the same age and, okay. you know, similar interests cause it's food based. Yep. So, um, we had a couple of things here with the chefs. They came out and we like cooked out and, um, you know, we, all the food from the farm, they brought some stuff. we had pasture raised chickens we raised. So we like made a chicken and we gave them vegetables like ahead of time and just, you know, uh-huh. people hang out, get to know each other. So we're friends now. And then when, when you, get a relationship like that. I think it's good when chefs talk to each other. And so if I asked any of them right now, like, because if they asked me like, Hey, where can I get this from a local farm? Cause you don't grow it. Like if it's ginger or turmeric or something, yeah, like, hey, you want to get it from these guys. You know, this is a good farm. And, um, same thing with chefs. So, um, everybody's in the same boat together right now. So, uh, just, yeah, that's, but most of it's from initially from DMing on Instagram. And what is your setup for them ordering? Do you have to have an order by a certain time? How does that work? Um, we send them a, a fresh sheet mm-hmm. uh, Monday morning and uh, we'll text it. It's generally easier than email. And so I'll text back an order or on harvest day, I'll say we have a, you know, something like we have a ton of extra radishes or we, we know that chefs, we have one chef that really likes fennel. And I'll be like, Hey man, you got anything coming up? You can use fennel in and he'll say how much you got and, um, you know, we'll just text right there, like right on harvest day and sell it there. And they were like, sweet. Yeah. Cool. 
Uh, there's yeah. also an, there's also another um, sales outlet I forgot to bring up earlier. It's an aggregator in Charlotte. Okay. And they're real, real responsive, really supportive of the local farms. I'll just text her and say, I have 30 to 50 pounds of this. Are you interested? That's it. And they'll, they'll say, yeah. And then they'll come pick it up at the market a lot of times. Yes. Nice. Very cool. So with the chefs then, um, do you like try to do long forecasting with them? Like we sit down at the beginning of the year and have like a plan, a meeting with them, like this is um, what we're planning on growing? We did last fall, but definitely not this year. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, there's no <laughs> sense in planning anything this year. <laughs> and who knows, yes. like, you know, there's no sense in planning anything next year either. It's, I think it's really just like, you know, we're just trying to bring a value and um, uh, we can, if there's something, if there's like leftovers from market, we'll sell it cheaper, but that way they're still using local food. You know, they, they can still bring value to their customers and we still make some money and they get to, you know, stay in the game and all that stuff. And it's going to, you know, it's going to turn around and come back and um, so just going through it with them. I think it's really important. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, one of the things too is with your that you were mentioning earlier is volunteers. You got like Tuesday's volunteer afternoon. How have you set that up? Well, there was a, a customer we had at the market when we first started, and she had bought a tunnel and wanted to learn how to grow our style. Okay. Which is market gardening, and she's like, "Well, I'll come out and help." Um, you know, a day she comes out for three hours every Tuesday. And I was like, all right, well, you know, um, I can't just like walk around with you and teach you stuff for free and, you know, waste that three hours for me just so you can, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, I know. I just want to, she just wants to be more connected to it. And um, yeah, so it's awesome. So like taking out tomatoes, starting seeds, transplanting, hand watering. Uh, her name's Sandy. She'll, she'll, she's really into vegetables and she's a vegetarian and um, regenerative ag and all that stuff and listens to like nutrition podcasts and gets to see the connection here on the farm, how we manage the soil. She asks us questions and he really helps out. Like she spent a lot, a lot of time today cultivating in the tunnels. Yeah. And we didn't even ask. We were, I was like, where's Sandy at? She was out there cultivating on her own. So <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Well, it's great to get those employees slash, you know, as she's volunteers that actually get the big picture, want to learn, and actually can now see ahead of what's going on. And I, you get a gem right yeah. there. She knows what to do and it's going out and doing it without even being asked. Yeah. And we have um, the other two volunteer, they do it uh, as a service thing through their church and they, they can go wherever they want and do whatever they want, but they like coming to um, our farm and helping. We try and make uh-huh. it fun for them in their, um, they're really learning and getting quick. They're really good workers. You only have to tell them things once. And we want to try and see if we can like hire them next year, see if they want to have like a job job so we can, so it's more um, stable for us to like, yeah. know. you know, you know, when you're playing a week and it's like, dude, we got to get this done. Like, okay, how are we going to get this done? Well, we can do this and then they can do this and we'll get it done. <laughs> but we, yeah. it needs to be like stable like that. So yeah, yeah. But this year we did a half acre winter squash wholesale. And uh, this spring we planted ourselves and laid all this plastic ourselves. But this fall harvesting it, we were able to get some local help to come in for a couple hours. And that made a huge difference. Uh, yeah. Because a lot of those tasks, they're just brute labor at, at the market yeah. garden scale. And um, you know, that's why I love tractors because it removes your, it, it saves your back. But yeah. um, if you don't have that tractor, um, spreading it out between a lot of people is so key. Yeah, it's a, 
it's good for everybody too. You know, you have other people around you. Everyone's if everyone's doing the same task or there's a common goal in mind. And um, I like to joke around a lot and um, pretty uh, anybody that knows me in real life, I'll just pretty much joke about anything. So it's, you know, we just joke with them. <laughs> yeah. And people laugh and it's not that bad and it is, it can be work and a lot of labor and it can be hot out and a lot of sweating and all that, but um, we just keep it, you know, lighthearted, happy. Yeah. I think another thing there too is bringing that community aspect of things in. Is, I mean, I know you and, and Tori get along great and you have a great working relationship for the farm, but <laughs> sometimes, you know, getting other people there to just be able to talk and, and just, and just do community and do farming together is so key. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like I think Tori has been mocking me behind my back to the two that help on Tuesday <laughs> Okay, <laughs> because I started mocking her recently. Like, She'd be like, well, we need to do, we need to irrigate plot A. And I'd be like, we need to irrigate plot A. And then, you know, I say it to them and they think it's funny. And it's just, yeah. time, you know, you spend a lot of time with people and you get to know, like, if they think it's funny and um, try to make it enjoyable for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Make it, make it as much a fun and work experience as impossible, because there's obviously so many ways you can do a job, but if you can bring humor or fun into that, it, especially because farming is tough. It's yeah. easy. Yeah. It's like, it kind of gets rid of the, where I grew up in Northwest Ohio, the old farmer mentality is, well, you can't make money, blah, blah, blah. it's just a bunch of complaining and whining and stuff. And mm-hmm. like, I definitely don't want that here. <laughs> no, no, never. No, no. We know both know that market gardening and market farming is just incredibly profitable. And obviously it's the systems and processes in place that do it and the team that helps you that makes it that way. But yeah. celebrating that is so key. Yeah, it's definitely, um, definitely like, the people make it so like we're going to take the the two that have been helping all year we're going to take them to um the whitewater center Ooh. which has like rock climbing ropes courses whitewater rafting mountain biking all this cool outdoor stuff and um they just they love the outdoor stuff so we're going to take them there it's like thank you and you know stuff like that yeah so talked about promotion on your farm how have you done your marketing and what seems to work in your area uh, I did a Facebook ad early on and that got a lot of attention. It was um, that we'd be at the market. We're, I think we're going to do one this week or next week. And uh, so whatever we have an excess of at that time, uh, last spring, it was kale. Mm-hmm. So it was like we targeted people in our area around the market. And, uh, you know, it was a picture of the market stand and it was, it just said, you know, are you looking for local produce, blah, blah, blah. Mention this ad mention this Facebook ad and get a free bunch of kale. Ah. Um, I said that actually worked pretty good. And we still have some people that come almost every week, just that were like initially customers from that ad. Okay. Everyone loves a freebie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I can't, I don't want to like condition people to free stuff, but it's like, um, you mentioned the ad and get something free. So it's kind of like, Oh, so, you know, yeah. So with the farmer's market, do you have, uh, you obviously have those weekly customers that come. How do you design your stand or set up your stand to make sure you're maximizing their sales? Uh, I set up my stand. Um, uh, I try to make it unique in the sense of uh, kind of like us. So I cut, I took two cherry logs and um, cut like holes in the bottom ones and then like slits in the top. And so then I put a branch in there so it's like you know honey tree but it's yeah. like a it's like a like a strong tree looking stand and then all the crates are set up and uh try and mix up the colors 
it's at an angle to the main walkway. Okay. So, you know, you can see it from right when you walk in the market. Um, if you look, it, it's kind of, I'm kind of, kind of a crappy spot, just the way they have to space people out, but uh, it's oh. all right. It's no big deal. And then um, uh, try and just keep the, everything tight, you know, the pilot high, keep it stacked. Um, uh, restock constantly and move produce constantly from one bin to another because if people are walking by and see you moving it, they, they would probably walk by and like never look at a bag of salad mix. Yeah. But if you're, if you're moving salad mix from one box to another, it kind of looks uh -huh. like you're re you're restocking it. Like you sold a lot and people will stop and look at it. Yes. And then, then near the end of the market, um, I'll put everything, I'll stack everything up basically by the, the main walkway and uh, leave everything else empty. So everybody can see the focus on like that right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I sweep it. I sweep it and keep it clean. And um, I have a sign there. I'm about to make another sign that says, you know, we accept different forms of payment than cash. I have like uh -huh. a drone, a drone picture of the farm, a picture of us working or something like that. I still have to think about it and make it, but. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Another thing about that moving back and forth, I never thought of the aspect of them thinking that sold down and you had to restock, but I always find that when people come to your stand, if you're busy doing something, they feel okay to linger. So it doesn't feel like yeah. you, they have to connect with you. Yeah. Um, we say, you know, we say like, good morning or whatever to everybody. You're like, Hey, how you doing? Um, so yeah. try to start, start up a conversation. And you know, people ask like, yeah, what do you do with this? A lot of times, like, what do you do with fennel? How do you cook it? And then, you know, you have that conversation about it. And then what always works is when there's another customer there who trusted your judgment before and they bought it and mm -hmm. then they cooked it a certain way. And then they tell that customer. And if they're holding it in their hand, like it's pretty much a good sale. So uh, uh -huh. it's cool, you know, and the, the customers at the market that I'm at in Charlotte, they have like a little community and they know each other's names because they've been going for years and stuff. So it's pretty neat. Yeah. What would you say, let's move a little bit to talking about uh, new farmers, because I would say you've, you've been doing it for a couple of years, so you're fresh in that stage right now. What do you think is the biggest mistake that you see beginning farmers make? I don't know. Uh, I guess my opinion would be, my personal opinion is is debt or, you know, spending a lot of money to to try and, I don't know. I wouldn't say, I would say not faking it until you make it is... Huh smart like don't fake it till you make it like i don't know i don't really i guess i haven't really looked at a lot of new farmers to be able to judge it very much but uh but i so let's let's maybe i'll rephrase that so what would be your yeah. advice to new farmers that just getting started um don't go in debt unless you know you have the market to get it back okay if you have no farming experience definitely work outside before uh, you know, working outside can be kind of tough. If you get stung by bees or something and you still have four hours left in the day and it's hot out, you just have to do it. Mm. If people get burnt out in the, in the summer, I see that on like Instagram and stuff a lot, Facebook groups. And, um, you know, every year, you know, it's coming. Like, you know, in August, it's going to suck. Uh -huh. And I've been working outside forever. That's how I made my living. Like since I became an adult and, um, yeah, you know it's coming and then you know it's gonna be winter so just having a better perspective on preparing yourself for it mentally just it's gonna happen regardless so yeah prepare yourself there's, for the seasons yeah like there's never gonna be a perfect season there's always gonna be an issue nature is always gonna win 
you're just learning. You're, it's like you're a constant student. You're learning along the way, like forever. You can farm forever your entire life and you'd still learn something the next year if you live another year. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. I actually had a picture texted me by actually one of my mentors and uh, she was like, oh, what's, what is this? I said, I haven't, and I was like, actually I've seen that, but I'm actually not quite sure. So yeah, even after 30 years, there's always going to be something new, especially yeah. as our climate is changing, new bugs are showing up. All that is, uh, it's a, that's the one cool thing about farming. Well, one of the many cool things is just the variety you get to do every day. Yeah, that I mean, I think people think it's kind of a mundane thing or just like planting all day or sitting on a tractor. And it's actually kind of cool. Like uh, we have people visiting now and then like, you know, random stuff like the UPS guy shows up or the neighbor wants to stop and talk about the chickens. And um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of moving parts and interest. And um, it's a living thing, you know, like your farm's like a living thing. That, and we're kind of on a busy road. So people drive by all the time mm-hmm. and they, they're starting to know about it people that show up for farm pickups to buy stuff like, yeah, I've been watching you guys grow this the past two years. It's really cool to, I didn't even know what it was. And now I know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, we can walk around. It's, it's like, you know, no tractor vegetables, minimal to yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. If you could pick one, what would be your favorite farming tool? Ooh, that's a tough one. Either. I don't know. That's yeah, it's a tough one. Let's see. I'm stuck between three, the tunnels, okay. the tunnels, uh, the silage tarps and the flail mower. Okay. Okay. I'm probably, I'm probably going to go with the flail mower. Okay, Actually, so- no, no, the tunnels. I like that. I like protected culture. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anyone that doesn't, but yeah. <laughs> the flail mower is something I haven't heard someone say before. So talk to me about how you use the flail mower. So the flail mower, man, is like a, um, just like tarps are, it's like a reset button, but ah. we're, we're the Southeast, um, and our, the soils around here are just historically poor soils. Yeah. And so the organic matter. So like if I get two cuts off of a lettuce, I'll let it grow and thicken up a little bit. If I can um, justify not using the bed space. Okay. And then I'll just flow mow all that organic matter straight onto the soil and then um, stir a post some weeds out and put some amendments down and, take the PDR on it, put it like a half inch and go over the bed and basically rake it in. And then you can seed right into it. So you can take the flail mower. The blades are super strong okay. and um, I'll run them in the dirt just a little bit. And so that cuts the the crop and like, it's not growing back. Even arugula. Yeah. yeah. I do that with arugula all the time. And like, yeah, I don't even tarp arugula. I'll just mow it kind of low, stir up the edges where if, if I miss anything, Okay. And then we'll put some compost on or whatever and, and plant right back into that. That sounds really cool. Yeah, that's like an abbreviated version. Like Ray's doing a lot of no-till now, but he does like about a 10 or 15 day wait period, but you're just going straight into it. Yeah, well, we, we kind of, recently we kind of had to, uh, <laughs> to get stuff ready for fall. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's what we did. Um, it works out pretty good. And you know, the weed pressure that was this time of year, the weed pressure that was growing or there was crabgrass or something, it's likely not going to grow anymore. The days are too short, the nights are yeah. too cold. And so it's not that big of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. At least it hasn't been yet. Um, but yeah, that's what I do all the time. Now, if it's summer and the weeds are super bad, I just flow mow it and tarp it. And that's a complete reset. And then you can pull that and seed right into it. What size tarps do you like? Uh, we cut a, I think we cut a whole, 
one from Farmer's Friend, 105 by 40 feet. We cut it into um, four foot lengths. So if we are flipping two beds at a time, we'll put down two single bed tarps or <laughs> one one double tarp. We need, we have that for a special area on our farm, but it's, it still works. So we just tarp one bed at a time, you know? And, and so how do you hold the tarp down? With sandbags or? Sandbags, yeah. And then actually another thing with the tarps is uh, the white side up helps it germinate. So if you're uh -huh. seeding, if we're, if you're cropping out radish or beets or something, then you want to turn around and uh, seed arugula or something, and you don't want to get overhead irrigation on everything yeah. else. Yeah. Um, we'll 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 flip the bed, um, see the arugula, hand water it because you only have to do it once. Put the tarp over it, white side up, and the next day the arugula germinates. Yes. Yep. That arugula it's, is so fast. Yeah. But yeah. It, it helps out a lot. Yeah. They're not wasting water too because. I feel like trying to get carrots to germinate. We use the tarps for carrots and beets and pretty much everything. You just go through a lot of water. Yeah. So do you, so what do you, you said you got a new well, how many gallons a minute is that? It was 15 when they were done drilling it and all the rain we've gotten this year, we are, we've been running it at 20 gallons a minute recently with no issue. Okay. Wow. Just, just, just throttling it up a bit. Yeah. What question do you wish I had asked that I haven't? I don't know. Or is there something we didn't cover that you would have liked to share about? Probably just um, a lot of times I see people get caught up in ideologies and um, just, uh, you know, be open-minded to other things, try new things. Uh -huh. Because what we do here is not what I would do in the Midwest. And what we do in the Midwest is not what I would do here. And a lot of the gardening info is coming from the Northeast. And it's just different here in the Southeast. Yes. So the more the more you the more you experiment, the more you try, and the more you read about just your area, you'll understand how things would grow better in your area, and then that's where you um, plan. You know, Absolutely. try to do certain things. And yeah. um, I don't like nerd out on the details of stuff, and um, I think that's helped a lot because we're able to just stay business minded and plant stuff, grow stuff, sell it. Yeah. And when we're when we get everything figured out and it's built, then we can nerd out on the details before it's really much of an issue. Yeah, actually, really, yeah, no, actually, I, so it's my pot, I'm writing the newsletter for this week, which will actually go out tomorrow morning to all our folks. And actually the title of the newsletter is your farm is unique. Yeah, so it's true. Just, 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 and then and what it is all about is literally your farm is your own farm. And there's so many unique things around your farm that you can't, you know, you can't copy and paste other people's farms. It just doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. That's uh, so, I think that with, with small farming getting bigger, um, there's like a, a race to be an authority or something. And like, that's something that needs to be understood is that every, it, the uniqueness of it is that it's a microclimate and it's up to you to understand the microclimate. Like the vegetables, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a dog. Like you can't expect a dog to figure you out. You have to figure out the dog first. Mm -hmm. And um, that, you know, like the microclimates in your farm, that's your benefit. That's your, your, like your benefit, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, we got Facebook, Instagram, um, YouTube, uh, Honey Tree Farm NC, like North Carolina NC. Okay, and, so uh, yeah. that's the handle at all of those platforms. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have a website. Is that oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a website, honeytreefarmnc.com. Okay, very cool. 
Well, Casey, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on. I know it's a sunny day out there, so I'm sure you're itching looking out the window of all the things that you know you need to be doing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually, uh, I got a really good view of a sugar maple that's like halfway in fall color right now. It's awesome. Yes, ours leaves just dropped last week. I was gone last week, and when I came back, they were all on the ground. So we were breaking them. Yeah, it was um, it was a beautiful golden tree. So, um, but yeah, but yeah, well, enjoy that view. Glad you got that view, and uh, we'll chat again in the future. Thanks so much for coming on. Yep, thanks, man. Looking to start or grow your farm business? You need a compelling farm plan that you can share with investors, convince your significant other with, or just to give yourself peace of mind. We have created a new program called the Start Your Farm Intensive. In it, you'll learn how to develop your farm idea to make sure you take all the factors into consideration for your context and your climate. You'll learn how to craft a one-page business plan that helps clearly define your target customer and lay out the necessary characteristics of your business. You will understand the three financial documents that every farm needs to fill out to make sure you are making money. And we'll give you all that as templates too. So you have the templates to fill out for your farm business. We'll also go through funding. So where to go for funding for the various stages and parts of your business. Starting a farm is hard. Starting a farm without a proven plan is almost impossible. Join us today. Go to growingfarmers.com forward slash start for more information. Now, what did past students have to say? Corey says, the exercises and spreadsheets helped me make the learning process easier and more real. Jenna says, I gained the support system and resources I needed for when I'm ready for the next step. And finally, the worksheets make you think out every aspect of the business step by step. Go ahead, join us today, growingfarmers.com forward slash start. Hey, Thriving Farmers, join me next week as I interview Luke Gross from Gross Family Farm in Indiana. We'll talk about how they've built their pasture-based business, how they have implemented a lot of changes as they've come from the start to make it a business that works for them. So one of the things they do is they take off a vacation every summer and there's no birds on the farm or, or, or broilers on the farm when that happens. So join me next week. We'll talk to Luke. It's a great interview as we chat about all things business and farming. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.